Okay, hello again, everyone. Uh, this is Rod Zeeb, and welcome to our podcast. Today's podcast is going to, be, going to be an interview with David York, and David is a great estate planning attorney out of the Salt Lake area. We met a few years ago when I saw him speak at a professional organization, I think it was Purposeful Planning uh, Institute, and he has spoken to, to the Heritage Institute uh, several times, once at our annual conference and then once uh, to, the, to the membership. And I wanted to talk to David today because he approaches estate planning the way we approach things in the heritage world and making it family first and the, and the client first. So with that, David, uh, I, let's just get started with, can you explain a little bit about you and where you came from and how you got involved in the estate planning world? Yeah, so uh, first, really appreciate the chance uh, to talk. Always enjoy talking with you. It's always encouraging to me. Um, I, I actually grew up in a family business. It was a, a CPA firm. Uh, so I started working there, geez, from the time I was 10, uh, answering the phones. And uh, I remember literally, uh, my dad would have me practice on the 10 key. Uh, and he thought I had all the markings of being a great CPA because I was left-handed. So I could actually add on the right side of the adding machine and write down my numbers in my, my 10 column spreadsheet on the left. And so uh, I, my undergrad was accounting and I was a CPA and, and went to law school. And I always wanted to be an attorney who happened to be a CPA and not the other way around. Um, but that said, it gave me a natural uh, foray uh, into an understanding of tax law and, and estate planning was kind of a natural with that. So between my love of, of family businesses and closely held businesses and working with people, along with kind of that professional background of being an attorney and CPA, it was kind of a natural fit to go into estate planning. And how long have you been doing that? So 24 years now, this will be my 24th year doing uh, estate planning. So death Death and taxes tend to affect a lot of people. So that's been, that's been good. And, uh, but yeah, I've been doing it for a while now. Yeah. And there's been a number of changes in that and probably will be the next year or two. There'll probably be some more changes and oh, yeah. estate planning and estate taxes and things like that. Yeah. I, I remember when, when I first saw you, you were talking about a shift that you made in your practice from your planning really being driven by assets and taxes and, uh, and money and then they supported assets, taxes, and money with, you know, with the, uh, right. the family's purpose kind of off to the side. So that now that's driven by the family purpose and the, the rest of it is part of what you do in, in the middle. Can you kind of right. explain how you came to that and what that really means? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so when I started practicing, um, you know, I, I did what everybody did. I, I, the focus of an estate plan was give me the names of your kids and a list of your assets and I'll do your estate plan for you. And so it was, it was very asset focused. Um, and it was also very tool driven uh, and estate planning. If people have dealt with estate planners, they know we love our tools. We love our acronyms. You know, we love our, our RLTs and our eyelets and our DGTs and our grats and our gruts and our cruts. Um, I always joke. I did. I one time did a Delaware incomplete gift non-grantor trust, and I did added a donor-only non-gifting provision, just so I could have a ding-dong trust, right? Like we we love our acronyms, we love our tools, um, but the other thing I found was it's really generic. You know, for for ninety-nine percent of the clients when they come to me and I review their existing estate plan, if I tore off the first page of their their trust and the last page, they wouldn't even know it's theirs. 
they were literally all the same. And, you know, I tell clients, it's like selling everyone a Honda Civic. But you know what? Honda Civics work for a lot of people. They don't work if you're a family of eight. They don't work if you're at the top of a snowy mountain. They don't work if you're uh, working construction uh, and you're trying to run your business, right? And yet we're selling everyone the exact same thing. And then the reality was it was static. Uh, I had clients who said, oh, my estate planning, it's, it's done. And I, and I remember talking once with a, a prospective client and he said that. He said, oh, my estate planning, it's done. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, is your family done? And he said, what do you mean? I said, are you done pouring into and investing in and being a part of, of, of engaging with your family? And he said, no. I said, when are you going to be done with that? He said, well, I'm never going to be done. And hopefully when I'm done pouring into my kids, I can pour into my grandkids and into the next generation. And I said, well, if your estate planning is about your family and your family is never done, why would your estate planning be done? But we've so divorced this concept that estate planning is about an 85-page binder uh, uh, with a bunch of documents in it. Uh, as opposed to to your family and purpose, and so, I, and I saw all the negatives that are associated with that that approach. You know, broken families, broken relationships, addictions fed, kids stripped of, of meaning and purpose. And I said, this cannot be the the right system. This cannot be the right structure. And what I what I came to realize is, instead of being asset focused, we need to be beneficiary focused. We need to think about where this money is going to just not how to get it there. Uh, we need to be purpose-driven as opposed to tool-driven. You know, we, we need to understand where the client wants to go before we start building the boat. Uh, because what, what they may need is a car or a plane to get where they want to go. Um, and um, I had a client tell me the other day, and I thought it was so good. So it doesn't matter how high you've climbed in a tree if you're climbing the wrong tree. Right. Like it doesn't matter how well you're doing and what you're doing if you're not doing the right thing. Uh, I think it needs to be customized. Clients should be able to read their estate plan and they should know it's theirs because it's infused with their values and, and their their perspectives. And and then I think it should be dynamic. I think as families change, the plans need to change. Uh, just like in the financial advisory world. You wouldn't say, well, let's let's invest this. Let's invest this money in 20 years from now. Let's see how it does. Right. You need to manage it. You need to, to be active in it. And I think the same is true with estate planning. So it's really a flawed model that results in a lot of the issues that we see. Yeah. And we've all seen the issues of, you know, the kids being hurt by money, end up on drugs or you know whatever. I had I had a case that actually got me into what I'm doing now where a friend of mine, after his dad died, he drank himself to death. Uh, in about seven years. And I remember just like you, that epiphany, I remember sitting at my desk going, that's not acceptable. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life getting as much money as I can to the next generation just to kill the next generation. Yeah. And, but that was, it was, and when you looked at it from the standpoint of an estate planning attorney, we passed a nine digit estate tax free. That was yeah. perfect planning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we, I realized that our goalpost was wrong uh, Yeah. In, in what we're doing. And, yeah, and the scoreboard's wrong. And the scoreboard, yeah, that's right. Yeah, how yeah. do you, you know, and, uh, and and you're right about, you know, a lot of these, if you take off the first and last page, they all look the same. I love it when I see a plan, when we're talking to the kids and they're reading it and they know it's grandpa's plan. Yeah. Because they see grandpa in it, you know, or yeah. grandma or whatever. And that's, you know, uh, that's a wonderful thing about it. Um, <clears throat> so when you made this shift, <laughs> how did that go i mean you know was it 
and both in terms of how the clients reacted to you because clients have us in a box. You yeah. Know, they're kind of used to, you know, tell me the name and ages of your kids and when you want them to get it. Um, right. Uh, so. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, unfortunately, um, I, I think a lot of clients at best are resigned to traditional estate planning. You know, I, I call it the 4D model, dump, divide, defer, and dissipate, right? Like 99% of estate plans, the plan is let's dump the assets down, let's divide them up, let's try to defer any taxes, and let's dissipate the wealth. It's a shotgun approach to wealth transfer. And, and at best, it's, it's uncompelling, uh, and clients begrudgingly do it because, hey, I'm getting older, I'm supposed to eat brand and do an estate plan, right? Like, that's like what you're supposed to do, but there's nothing inspiring about it. Uh, but at worst... They, they don't like it. And so they avoid putting it together all, all the time. And I don't think it's because they're uninformed. But like I said, I think it's because they're uninspired. And so, um, but that said, it was an iterative process for me because I said, okay, well, I see all the problems with the documents and I see, all, so I was like, well, I'll just create the best trust in the world. You know, if I'll just create the best, you know, 84 page trust with all of the bells and whistles in it, and that'll solve it. And, and what I realized at the end of the day is that an estate plan is a skeletal system. Uh, you need it to create a to create a framework, but it's not the heart and soul of your family. Um, and and there's other things that you need to do besides simply just preparing a document. You need that. But you know, it, rem- it reminds me. I was talking about a year ago. I was working with a group of of uh, entrepreneurs, incredibly successful entrepreneurs. And I asked them. I said, "How many of you guys would credit the success of your business to your articles of incorporation?" And they all just laughed. They were like zero percent, like yeah. zero. And I said, "How many of you needed it?" They all raised their hand. They all needed it, but that's not what made their business successful. What made their business successful is they had a vision, they had purpose, they had people, they had culture, all of those things. Then they used the legal structure to create a framework where they could be successful. Um, but but you're not going to have a successful business because I, I put together great articles of incorporation for you. You're not going to have great wealth transfer because I do a, a trust for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, <clears throat> it was interesting when you, when you spoke to our, I guess our annual conference, I remember you saying used to be, you thought you should be the first person that the families come and see. And now you kind of think you should be the last person that they see once they really understand what they want. Can, can you kind of explain your philosophy behind that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of problems with with going to the estate planner as the first professional. Uh, one is we become the last professional you go to see. Like I said, we, we tell people, oh, your estate plan's done, it's taken care of. And then they don't think about it. They don't think about the effect of, of uh, the what the wealth is going to have uh, on the next generation. But, but, but the second is that really before you can design a plan, you have to know who are you? What do you value? What do you believe? You know, what is your vision for wealth transfer? You need to think through the, through the impact that, that your wealth is going to have. And I think one of the things that, that clients need to recognize, especially as they build up more and more net worth, is that impact isn't optional. You, you can't choose right. whether or not to make an impact with your, with your wealth. And the, and the more wealth you have, the more of an impact you're going to make. You know, I have some clients who are like, ah, I don't know what kind of impact I want to make to the kids, what kind of legacy... For a lot of clients, legacy is a double-edged sword word. Some of them, like, they don't even like me to use the word. But, but I think legacy and impact are, are interchangeable. And, and the reality is, and so I've had, I had one client say, I'm just going to give it all away. I'm like, that's a legacy. That's an impact. You know, right. if, even if you give it all away to charity, if, if you leave it all to your family, 
So if impact isn't optional, then let's at least be intentional. Um, and so that's where I think you have to, you need a compass and you need a map before you can build a plan. And, uh, and now that said, I do think the attorney, like I said, can be an important, uh, can create a role for that and can help you get from here to there. But you have to have that vision first. And I think unfortunately too often we shut down the process uh, when really we should be the, we think we're architects and for the most part, we're general contractors. That's a great analogy. I had not about it that way, but that's really true. I mean, uh, <clears throat> we're building them. We're building it. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and you need a general contract. You can't have a house right. without a general contractor, but you, you start with the architect. You start with a vision. You start with an understanding of who's my family. What do I like? What, what's the topography? Where am I building? What am I building on? What do I want to accomplish with this place? Right. Do I want a fortress of solitude? I had a client once who built a 4,500 square foot home one bedroom. She goes, I don't like house guests. Uh, you know, <laughs> I have others who they want to build a multi-generational gathering house for, for their family to come to. You're going to build those two different ways, right? And so, again, we, I think we, we serve an important role, but it's, it's, it's later in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you've, have you've done more and more of this stuff, are there some, some things that come up very, you know, pretty often with families in terms of once they start thinking about the impact versus, you know, just doing the process, what kinds of impacts are, are do you hear fairly regularly or, you know, you've heard quite a bit? Yeah, I love the, uh, if you've ever seen those demotivator posters, uh, they're kind of the spin on the motivational ones. One of my favorite ones is a, a snowflake and it says, just like a snowflake, you are unique, just like everybody else. You know, right. And so we're all unique. We're all different, but there are some commonalities. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I did a tour uh, in Miami a little while ago of Art Deco buildings. And they were talking about, they were showing us Art Deco. And they said, really, there's three common elements. There's symmetry. There's the rule of three. And there's artistic decoration, right? Like, so if, if, if you want to know if a building is art deco, you look for these, these commonalities. They all look different, but they have similar commonalities. And I think the same is true with, with families. Every family looks unique and every family looks different. But in the families that I see that, that successfully do this, I see some commonalities. And so to me, instead of the four Ds, I think we should focus on the four Ps. The first is purpose. You know, who are we? What do we value? What do we believe? What's the purpose for our, our wealth? Uh, and really infusing that into the kids in, in, in a collaborative process. Second, it's participation. The families that I see that are most successful, the kids are participating. They're, they're working. They're doing chores. They're, they're investing in themselves. They're, they're, they're producing and providing and participating uh, in that. Third is, is preparation. You know, and I think that that's that's education is certainly very important, but it's also practical stuff. It's teaching kids finances. It's teaching them how to take care of their equipment. That's what my dad used to always say. You got to take care of your equipment, right? It's right. it's preparing them for life, and then fourth, it's perspective. Uh, the families that I see that are most successful help their kids have a have a global perspective. The reality is, even in America. We, we live in an altered reality where, you know, I grew up, I, 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 we, I, we didn't grow up wealthy, but I, whenever I went to the fridge, there was food. Whenever I, if I, if I, if I needed a new pair of jeans, my mom got me a new pair of jeans. You know, that's not the global perspective. And I think sometimes 
not to make our kids feel bad, but to help them understand that both the, the blessings that they have and the responsibilities that come with that, creating a sense of global perspective. So I, you know, I tell clients, yeah, it's, it's purpose, participation, preparation, and perspective. Those are the commonalities I see in families that do it right. You know, and, and that, that, that balance that you were talking about, about the responsibility that comes with but you know what we have is, is is one of the things I see a lot in families, and the ones that are successful, like you said, they their kids are working and they start early, yeah. and they don't yeah. realize that that that's not an option. I mean, you know, it's just yeah. that's just part of who they are and, and part of who, what the family is. And if you're if you're doing chores when you're five six years old, that's just the norm. You don't yeah. think about it as as something weird. But if everybody yeah. waits on you until you're 15, <laughs> then yeah. that's the norm. Um, you know. Yeah, no, and, and I, I call it the paradox of wealth because we earn our wealth through hard work, risk, stress, sleepless nights, and worry. And, and that comes at a huge cost. And because of that, our wealth has value to us. Uh, well, what does wealth help us to avoid? Hard work, stress, risk, right. sleepless nights, right? So. We end un unintentionally end up undercutting what actually brings value to what we have with our kids if we're not if we're not careful. And it's a lot harder, honestly, in many ways, to raise kids in affluence when you can do things for them that you don't, uh, so that they can go through those struggles and trials themselves to bring their own value to to what they have. Yeah, I think that goes along with none of the Rothschilds. I, I read a quote from one of the grandsons and he said, it takes a great deal of wit and wisdom to create great wealth and 10 times as much to keep it. Oh, yeah. You know, because, yeah. you know, it does, you know, you don't you don't have those same attributes if you don't have to work and if you don't have to do these things and everybody's coddling to you. Um, yeah. And when you talk about purpose, um, do, do you have very many families that come to you and they know what their purpose is? Yeah, I would say a lot of, uh, I would say the majority of our clients don't. Um, and it's, to me, it's the tyranny of the urgent. It's so funny. We, we go to our offices and our, and our, and our nonprofits that we work in our you know, different organizations that we're a part of, and we're so intentional, you know, and we create mission statements and vision statements. And, and here at my office, we have four values that we've based everything, our whole firm on. And then you go home and it's just the tyranny of the urgent. I got to get kids to, I got to make, get them to lessons. I got to make dinner. I got to run them to this or that. And uh, what I did not, the one thing I didn't think about as a parent is all the tr driving, like just yeah. driving kids around to everything. It's just insane. And so it is really easy to lose that level of intentionality. And so um, for most clients, no. Now there are some who, yeah, they've really thought about it. And again, that's where we see the difference. And I think, say, one of the key characteristics, or if I had the two characteristics of those who successfully transfer wealth, one, they know who they are, what they value, and what they believe. And they can clearly articulate it. They've got their elevator speech for their family. You know, I have an elevator speech for my business. So I have an elevator speech for my family. Right. And then the second is that they prepare the kids for the wealth and not just the wealth for the kids. Uh, and those two things more than anything else, I think, determine the success or failure of wealth transfer. Have you, do you do much work in like the dynasty trust or family bank kind of area? Uh, and can you, okay, so now this is the tougher question. Can you explain that in plain English <laughs> for, yeah. for people who are listening? Yeah. 
Yeah, and again, we love our different terms and, and dynasty trust is something you hear the other day. I, I made a crack about dynasty trust and Joan Collins the other day to these clients and they were like in their, their 30s. They didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but it was a show in the 80s uh, called Dynasty. But wh- when we talk about a dynasty trust, we're really just talking about two elements. Tr- trusts have been around for a thousand years uh, and they typically have had, had two issues. One is I could set up a trust for the benefit of anyone else in the world, just not for the benefit of myself and have it protected from creditor claims. Um, that has to do with, that has an impact on estate tax planning because if creditors can reach my assets, that's in my estate. If they can't, it's not. The second is that there's been a limit on how long trust can last called the rule against perpetuities. Um, a lot of offshore jurisdictions and now you know 18 or so US states have gotten rid of those restrictions. Allow me to set up a trust to protect it from future unknown events and let those trusts last as long as they're assets. And so they've become known as dynasty trusts. All that means is they're trust design that could operate on a multi-generational basis as opposed to that, you know, dump, divide, defer, dissipate, get it down to the next generation and your, and your wealth is gone. Yeah. And that's, you know, it really is, a, it's an amazing thing when you think about even the education trusts, you, you mm-hmm. know, if you don't use it all up with your kids with a, before the, with the rule against perpetuities, you know, most of, most of the States, it was a life and being plus 21 years. So somebody right. was alive to the year today, plus 21 years, so maybe hundred years is the most you're going to get out of this thing. Right. Right. And, you know, so if you wanted a, an education trust that was going to help your great, great grandkids, couldn't happen. Right. And, and you know, now we can do that, uh, which creates its own set of problems in that who knows what's going to happen, you know, 100 years from now or whatever. So there's, there's sure, sure. To go along with that. But yeah, I, and that's that's really I, I've, I've heard the term. I hear people talk about dynasty trust and they think it's it's designed to create a dynasty in your family. And that's, I mean, it can help, it can help that. I mean, in terms of keeping things together for the family, but it's not going to create the dynasty. Right. It, you know, it, it's just going to give you a structure that you can have there to help for multiple generations. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Are there other, okay. And be, you know, before we go, are there other tools that you've seen the more you've gotten into people you know, getting their values and, and knowing what they're going to do and, and, and helping their family in that way. Are there other tools that you've seen more in your practice now that you didn't see before? Yeah. Like I said, I, I've had a lot of clients who've um, weren't, weren't comfortable with that traditional, I, I call it a consumer mentality approach to, to wealth transfer. Again, what we say is I'm going to give you an asset. It's going to cost you nothing. And I'm going to go give no meaning or purpose to it. And then we're shocked when it's expended, right? Right. You know, the average American inheritance lasts 18 months. What people accumulate over the course of their life is gone in 18 months. Even among, there was an interesting study done among the most affluent families in in America, the half-life of inherited wealth, even among the highest net worth is eight years. That means you take a 20, someone who inherits $20 million dollars, Statistically speaking, 24 years after they've inherited the $20 million with the best advisors, planners, structures in the world, on average, they have two and a half million after just one generation. Uh, And so, and again, it's because there's no meaning or purpose behind it. There's no cost associated with it. And so, um, again, there's kind of like clients started to swing the pendulum and say, well, I'll just give it all away to charity, right? And then what they, they realized is 
is, and I'll leave less to the kids. And what they realize is that's not different than consumerism. That's just minimalism. That's just less consumerism. That's not fundamentally different. What's different? So where I've seen a lot of clients shifting, one is to more opportunity-based planning. Like you said, focusing on things like education, home ownership, uh, uh, down payment assistance, entrepreneurism, those kind of things, where it's more of a mind shaft approach that lets each generation create their own wealth from that. Uh, the other thing I've seen more and more clients saying is, look, we want the family to continue to work collaboratively. So instead of taking the assets and dividing them all up, let's create a mechanism where they can work together on that. Now, from that, let's draw some that they can then each separately manage. But let's not go in and cut the pie up, uh, divide everything up, chop down the tree. Let's see, is there, are there ways that we can work in a collaborative basis, create more of an orchard where the family can live off the fruit? but we preserve and protect the, the main asset. Yeah, and that's, that's a um, kind of outside the norm of everything we'd learned in law school and everything that had been going Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I credit, and I don't I know, I think you probably may be along with this. I credit uh, John A. Warnick with a lot of, of really getting this started with his purposeful, I remember when I first met John and John A. and he was working on the purposeful trust and I was talking, uh, I was in that time I was doing the state planning and stuff. And I remember sitting in a group and he was talking about it and I'm looking around and everybody's going, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just, I just need to know what your kids' names are. And do you want them to have it at 30, 35 and 40 or 35, 40 and 45, I mean, you know, when yeah. you want it to get divided. And, yeah. uh, and it was from the professional standpoint, I remember the questions that he got were all about am I going to have li liability if I do it this way? Because has, has it been tested in court? It was all about the lawyer. It wasn't about the client. Which, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which was pretty amazing to, to watch. Yeah. Um, but, and it really is, it, you know, it boils down to number one, like you said, the, the purpose and participation and, and those, those four Ps. And part of that is being intentional about training that. That's part mm -hmm. of that participation. I remember uh, I was talking to one of my, one of the guys I worked with, and he'd just gotten back from a family meeting. And um, he said, he said, I just saw the most poignant thing I think I've seen in my entire life. And I know it's going to last forever. And I go, what's that? And he said, mm -hmm. well, um, at dinner the night before we were having a meeting, we had dinner. And he said, grandpa got down nose to nose with his five-year-old grandson. And he handed him a $5 bill. And he said, okay, I want you to take this $5 bill, but you're not going to get to spend it. I want you to think about it tonight. And tomorrow morning at breakfast, we're going to talk about what we can do with that $5 to help other people because mm. that's what this family does. We help other people. Yeah. And he said, I got to believe that that kid when he's 50 knows that we help other people with a, you know, so it doesn't take a huge amount of money to make this, you know, we're talking about yeah. dynasty trusts. They don't have to be huge amounts of money. It's just being intentional about what we're going to do with the money and, and yeah. what we're going to do with the family. Yeah, I had that's such a great story. I actually had a client similar thing. They uh, they go to their grandkids and they they give them. I think it's like a hundred dollars or something where that they can give to any charity of their choice. And all they have to do is just come back and tell us what charity you want to give to and why and why that why that matters to you. And I had a client who their like eight year old grandson came to him and. And he said, uh, I want to give it to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And he was like, what? How can you pronounce like, that? <laughs> how do you, yeah, how do you, can you even pronounce that? How do you know it? A, a kid in his class 
had gotten leukemia and was going through uh, uh, treatment for that and was missing time with school. And um, so he and he talked to the, the teacher had talked to the class about it. He wanted to give to that to support his classmate. It, it, amazing, because all of a sudden he starts looking out and about around him. Think what that hundred dollars uh, does uh, and the impact and then the connection that the grandparent and the grandchild can have. The grandparent didn't even know the grandchild had a friend who was going through that or the right. circumstance. And so just that level of intentionality and that's part of that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. let's, let's have a different perspective in life that when you receive something, it's not always about you. Right, right. Yeah, and it's hard, it is hard. You, you mentioned it earlier. What our norm is in the United States isn't the norm in the world. Right. Uh, and it's really hard sometimes for people to get that. And even things like I, I remember my son when he was like 17 or 18 um, as a project, they went down um, into Tijuana and they, out of Tijuana and built a house for this family. I think the house was like 12 by 24 for a mom and dad and four kids. And the, the people were coming out of a, a community that lived in the dump. You know, wow. On top of the dump. And Ryan called me at, when they first got there and he said, number one, he goes, I always thought the term rain, uh, mangy dog was just a term, but they really exist. I mean, you know, <laughs> you've never seen, you know, a, a really a mangy dog because yeah. our pets so well, right? Yeah. But he said the other thing that got to him was every day as they were building this, the family would come over and mom would just be crying about this beautiful yeah. thing that they were building. He said, I have friends who have bedrooms bigger than this. Yeah. And he said, just, and so that whole perspective of getting out of who we are and starting to realize what's around us. Yeah. But that takes intentionality and that takes time. And, you know, it's a lot easier just to write them a check sometimes than it is to. Yeah. You know, and it's a, it's a great analogy, just like, just like charity, the same with estate planning. It, it's really easy to give money away. It's not easy to give it away well. Right. And, and the reality is the same with estate planning. It's easy to do an estate plan and, and transfer your assets. It's not easy to do it well, but it's worth it. And, and that's, and, and where clients need to understand is there is an alternative to that model. Uh, and there is something that can be compelling. Uh, and, and again, it's something that can be done in a collaborative, engaged way. Yeah. Was there anything else you'd like our folks to, that are listening to this to hear before we sign off here? No, I think that was great. And, and, you know, obviously there are the technical aspects of a state plan. I'm not talking against that. You need to have right. medical financial powers of attorney. We want to try to minimize tax. We want to try to protect assets. Those things are all really important, but, but those are the hows. Those, those aren't the why. And, and, you know, Simon Sinek was right. You know, you start with why and that leads you into those things. And so, uh, but, but, but yeah, so that is important. And I don't mean to minimize that or the role that the attorney has. I just think it's important that we understand that ultimately wealth transfer is about, about people more than possessions. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. This has been yeah, great. Yeah, anytime. I always like talking with you. It's always encouraging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's, uh, what's the website or something that they can... Yeah, go. it's just uh, uh, our firm is uh, York Cowell and Guyman. Our website's yorkcowell.com. I'm at David. I'm David at yorkcowell.com. I was okay. the first David here, so I got to, to have that. So, uh, yeah, people can uh, email me. Happy to just chat and, and help in any way I can, either with their existing people or we actually work with clients all over the, the U.S. 
but happy to provide any tools or resources or communication we can. Thank you very much. This has been helpful. Yeah, anytime. Good seeing you. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you, everybody. And I hope this you enjoyed this and I hope it's helpful for you. And feel free to look up David and and listen to some more of the podcasts that we have here because there's more information like this in there. Thank you very much.